Hello, welcome to York Street. We hope that this sermon will be an inspiring and impactful one, just what you need at this time. For any of our sermon-based studies, please head to our website at www.yorkstreet.com.au. So grab a cuppa, grab your notebook, whatever you need, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Congratulations for being here on a day where the clocks change on us. About an hour we'll redo again. (laughs) Just kidding, we won't. (laughs) I do want to say congratulations to those in the room that are here and those that are online that we're happy to make God and this faith community a priority today. Well done. But I also want to welcome those here who maybe struggled to get here today. Maybe you fought in the car along the way. You're exhausted or you're weary. Perhaps you're navigating brokenness or health conditions, relationship or financial issues. And you don't know what the future holds. You're welcome here today too. Blessed are you. I also want to extend greetings to any of you in this room that might be new or visiting among us today. You might be hungry and seeking questions and learning more about who this God is that we're talking about. This is the place to be. And I'm so glad and it's such a privilege to have you here with us this morning. Makarios. Do you remember what that means? Blessed are you, welcome to all of you as you are. You belong, you matter, and you have a place in this community. You know, that's a really cool way to start a sermon. Because Jesus did that on the Sermon on the Mount, and he kind of did it with these Beatitudes where he sees this audience that's in front of him, and he identifies the condition that they're in, And he speaks a welcome invitation, mostly to people who had never been accepted before. And he sees them as they are, and he welcomes them in. And these beatitudes, these blessings that we've been talking about, that he declares weren't conditions for their salvation. They weren't qualities or virtues that they had to do to earn his favor. He was simply identifying those that were there. And he was speaking this culture and this character and an invitation to his kingdom. We spent the last three weeks exploring what Jesus sees when he identified those that were poor in spirit, those that were mourning, and those that were hungry and thirsty. And today we're going to explore this blessing invitation to the meek. So let's read it together in Matthew 5, 5. It's 10 words long, so it shouldn't be that hard. We're going to say it out loud. Are you ready? It's up here? Yep. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well done. I don't think many people really know what the word meek means. I mean, I asked Tim and Anthony this week, and Tim went, is it meek, meek? And that was helpful. Um, And Anthony said, you know, I kind of think of this like mouse hiding in the corner sort of thing. And we don't use this word very often in our language today. Like, I wouldn't tend to use the word meek to describe somebody, because things like timid and cowardly and weakly come to mind. 
Um, but throughout the Bible, it's used on multiple occasions. And in this specific passage that we just read, the Greek word for meek is praus. You're going to say this with me? Praus. Again, praus. <laughs> it means humble, lowly in stature. And there's this quality of kindness and gentleness and quiet in spirit. And when Jesus addresses the crowd, he's identifying this, the meek people, the humble, simple, ordinary folk that were in front of him, lowly in stature, oppressed by the Roman Empire. They didn't have any power or influence, didn't own land, no authority, no status or wealth. They were literally nobodies from nowhere with nothing to offer. And he's collected them along the way doing his ministry. And he sees them and he speaks to them in this time. I want to take us, though, back to Numbers 12, where we read about this amazing meek man named Moses. He is stated to be the most meek, praus, human in all the earth. So this is probably a good place to start as we examine this word. In Numbers 12, 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very, very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, that's the King James Version. In our newer translations, they exchange the word meek for humble. And I want us to consider this badge of honor that Moses gets to wear, being the most meek man on earth. I mean, it's not the award we tend to compete for these days. I'm going to be the most meek, lowly, humble person you've ever met. I'm going to win that badge of honor and be the most meek. No, that doesn't work for a meek person, does it? We're going to consider Moses' story because I think it tells us what a meek person can look like. In Exodus 2, this is where the story of Moses begins. And King Pharaoh had ordered this decree that all the Hebrew males born in the land were to be killed. All of them. They didn't want their population to continue growing either. So Moses' mother has Moses and she hides him until he's about three months old. And then she's worried that he's going to get found out. So she hides him in this basket Puts him in the reeds in the Nile River. That's a story that might be familiar to many of you. But who finds him there? Do you remember? Pharaoh's daughter. So the guy that issued the decree, his daughter finds him and sees him. And she wants to keep him. And through time, um, they adopt him into this royal family. And after a time, Moses grows up there. And he starts to witness some things. And he sees this Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And in his anger, because these are his people, he kills the Egyptian slave master. And so then for fear of his own life, he decides to run away and hide. And he flees all the way to Midian, which is not the next town. And it's not over the mountain. It is 300 miles away, which at that time in those days, I think is very far about 480 kilometers. And it's, it's, he hides there in this place for 40 years. He came from this place of a royal household, and he ends up working as a sheep farmer. And during his time here, God speaks to him in this burning bush. And he calls him to come back to Egypt and to free his people. And what does Moses say? I'm not the man for the job. Find someone else. He's like, who am I to do this? 
I don't know what to say. First of all, he says, I'm slow of speech. I'm not great at public speaking, so I am not the person to lead a big group of people, like a few million. That's a lot of pressure. What if they don't listen to me? What if they don't do what I tell them to do? And he has all these questions for God. So Moses is not only facing his personal insecurities, he has to return to the place that he ran away from. And he has to trust that God has a plan. But isn't that the way God works? He asks us to step out in faith. We don't always know what the plan is, do we? And often in order for us to develop our faith, he'll take us back to that place where we ran away from to face the very things that are going to actually help us grow and learn and learn how to trust him again. And Moses, in his meekness, in his humility, he puts his own will, his own fears aside, and he submits to God's plan. Even in his self-doubt, he returns to Egypt. You see, it's one thing to say you're a follower of Christ. You can say, Lord, Lord. But it's an entirely different thing to act and to move into what he's called you to. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Whoa. That's a bit full on. Our response of obedience and submission to God is key, not only living meekly, but our eternal future. It's not enough just to believe in God, even the demons believe that. But we must respond as Moses did with this humility to do his will. And Moses doesn't start out as this powerful leader, does he? As we said, he started from this humble beginnings. He was just a baby that was abandoned, born into a slave family. family. He's wanted for murder and he's scared he's about to die. So he goes away and hides for 40 years as a sheep farmer. He's insecure and he's lacking leadership skills and abilities. But God sees the potential. Even when Moses couldn't. And friends, I want to remind you today that God sees the potential in you too. Even if you can't. You might think you have nothing to offer. That you're ordinary, lowly, useless, a failure, whatever. Without anything to give. But God sees you with different eyes than the world does. And he sees you with different eyes than what you even see for yourself. And I want you to hear me when I say this. Jesus says you have promise and you have value and you have a purpose. And he desires to see that called out in you. To be used for his glory. So not laying dormant, waiting for someone else to do it called out so his glory can be seen and he sees that potential in you devil's biggest tactic in keeping us paralyzed from doing god's will and growing in our faith is his lies that he feeds us he is the father of all lies it says in scripture and he tells us things like we're too broken too messy i don't have it all together i'm i don't i'm not a theologian or whatever you want to say God, can't someone else go and do this? And friends, it's time to stop accepting those lies and instead turn and respond yes to God. Just like Moses did. 
for the sake of his glory to be made known. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about God's glory being made known here on earth. Humble and submissive hearts before the Lord so his glory can be made known. Of course, other than Moses, probably the best example of someone that was meek is who in the scripture? Jesus, well done, Sunday school answer. And he makes this humble entrance, doesn't he? The king doesn't arrive in the way the Jews expected. They wanted this powerful ruler that was going to come in and destroy their enemies and be royal and demonstrate his power and victory over all their oppressors. But instead, how does Jesus arrive? Comes as a baby first in a manger in a stable in a barn. A king born next to some stinky animals. Amongst commoners, not in a prestigious place. He comes vulnerable, defenseless, and lowly. And Jesus' humble beginning surprises the world around him. The Jews had a different view of what their powerful leader should look like. Similar to how we would maybe view leadership in our world today. When we think of a powerful leader, we don't think of somebody that's meek. Someone who's lowly in stature and humble and gentle and quiet in spirit. That's contrary to the way the world thinks. The world says that to get ahead, you must be aggressive. You must be self-promoting, ruthless, do anything you can to get there. But Jesus shows us this different way. He shows us this gentle leadership, not a harsh and domineering one. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The word gentle and humble are translated the exact same way as in the Beatitudes from the Greek, praus. Exactly the same. Here we read that when we come to Jesus under his leadership, under his yoke, and we trust in him, that there's a sense of gentleness, but not only that, partnership in our journey with God. And when we can take his yoke upon us, we fall in line with his steps beside us. Think about two oxen walking beside each other. Now you're thinking of me being a cow. But think about the walking beside him. And he's teaching us along the way how to shoulder the load that we're carrying. Instead of doing it in our own strength, we do it together. And if we live this way, you know what? We find rest for our souls. We keep trying to do it in our own strength, and then we get really weary and tired. But he leads us with such gentleness and humility. Also in my research, I found that there are many that have defined this word, praus, I'm just going to keep saying it all morning, meek, as strength under control. And as I did more digging, I actually found there's really no evidence that proves that when Jesus identified the meek in the crowd on the mountain, that he saw this element of strength under control. However, I can see why pastors and writers have come to use this illustration. Because this concept of strength under control is explained like an animal that's been tamed or bridled, like this wildness that's put, put under control. And if you think about a horse or a war horse, for example, they had such great partnership with their master, with their rider that it would just be one small movement or touch by the rider and the horse would respond instantly knowing exactly what he was meant to do. And there was complete submission and complete obedience 
to the master even in the place of conflict or chaos or in the middle of war. So they were fully in tune with the master. But it's not clear that this was the kind of meekness that Jesus was talking about when he saw people on the mountain at the Sermon of the Mount because he was addressing the outcasts. But I can see how both Moses and Jesus do demonstrate this kind of meekness, this kind of prose, of this strength under control. Perhaps the most powerful example of this is when Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that? He's about to be arrested and beaten and killed and tortured. And he's like sweating blood. That's how stressed he is. And in his agony, he says, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So even in his anguish, he is completely submissive to his father. What kind of king is submissive? What kind of king comes as a servant? Or gives his life for another? Especially a sinner. Sinner. It's really an upside down way of thinking to the way the world thinks, isn't it? While the world is all about self and me and indulgence, the upside down kingdom says things like the last shall be first. Giving is better than receiving. To truly live, we must die. To lose our life means that we're going to find it and that the least are the greatest. And when I'm weak, he makes us strong. He makes me strong. And when Paul shows a great example of this as well when he's writing to the church in Philippi and he's encouraging them in this upside down kingdom thinking. He says, don't do things out of your selfish ambition or your own vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interests of others. Wow, that's really opposite of the way the world thinks. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. So he was God, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. What a great example of what being meek can look like. And what does God do to honor this kind of humility in Jesus? He exalts Jesus to the highest place. Read verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' meekness, God exalts him. And if we go back to our focus scripture of today, that blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Here we see in this Philippians 2 passage that this is an example in action. Jesus' humility puts him in this place of honor. And to be honest, when I first read that I was doing the meek one, I was so excited. Because all the other ones were like, you know, you get to receive the kingdom of heaven and you're going to see God and ours is. You will inherit the earth. And I was like, who wants that? The world's a giant mess. 
Perhaps Jesus wasn't saying that, though. Perhaps he was saying that we're not going to necessarily inherit this messy, broken, selfish world. But maybe he was indicating that the lowly and the meek among us would actually be the ones that others would turn to in their time of need for leadership, for comfort, for strength, because of their gentleness and their kindness and their quiet spirit, because of their integrity, that the meek would be put in places of honor here on earth to be called upon to help others navigate through their situations like how Moses did with the Israelites and how Jesus has done with us. I think there are plenty of examples of Jesus displaying his meekness throughout scripture, and we don't have time this morning to go through them all, but some of the main ones I think of is his his triumphal entry on a donkey, right? He was saying, my kingship doesn't come from you, it comes from God, when he came in that way. What a display. He washes his disciples' feet, He values and cares for those that are the most rejected. Think about the most rejected you can think of in our our city. That's where he would be hanging out. And we can see that there's this meekness value that's so important to him. And we can practice meekness. I don't know, maybe God's calling you to practice that or train your upside down thinking again. One of the ways I was thinking is that you can work on your pride. Do I always have to be right? Yes. (laughs) Am I always arguing or causing disputes and conflict? Are you teachable? That can really tell if you have a pride issue. Um, Interestingly, what would it look like if you and your spouse, if you have a spouse, not look to your own interests for an entire week as an experiment? and only looked to their interest, not proving that you're going to be right or proving that you had to hear this or knowing that this had to be done, but what if it was a week of looking to their interests above your own? Would it change anything for you? How would that change your life? I like this idea, this concept that they talk about in 1 Peter 3, 4 of developing this gentle and quiet spirit within yourself, your inner self. There's that piece of letting go and letting others be seen and heard and not be about you. That's the way the world thinks. You can offer your time to someone walking beside them. You can bless somebody giving them something, but don't give them your rubbish or your leftovers or your spring cleaning things. Did that yesterday. <laughs> don't shove that onto somebody else. Give something valuable that's yours to someone else. It's going to mean so much more. Choose forgiveness. That's another great way of practicing humility and meekness. Even if you're the one wronged. Practice gentleness. That's not something that we tend to teach on. We say confidence and strength. But gentleness, that's different. Listen without offering advice. I have a lot to give, but it's probably better to listen. And the last one I was thinking of was releasing control. And I'm wondering if you're carrying things that you're not meant to carry. Are you overburdening and wearying yourself over things that aren't yours actually to be shouldering? Perhaps you need to let God walk beside you again, letting go of your way and your plan, and trust each step along the way beside him doing it together. 
Maybe you've tried to do it on your own. We can practice meekness anywhere in the supermarket, at work, at school, with your friends, with your children. It's a great place to, to practice it. Simply put, it's humbling ourselves not only before the Lord, but before others. Have you ever humbled yourself before your children? It's another level of meekness, I think. But I want to remind you that although we can practice meekness, we don't do it to earn our way into God's favor. We, we do it to honor him, right? We do it to worship him with our lives. And although, like I said, we can practice meekness, I want us to note something about those, the, the crowd members that were on the hillside that Jesus was talking to. They weren't specifically these practicers of meekness that I just talked about with that list. They weren't people that were necessarily deploy, displaying control, controlled strength like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus calls them meek because of factors that were outside of their control. They were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They were crushed. They were beaten down. They were mistreated. They were living under injustice in unfair circumstances. And these were the people he gathered along the way in his ministry. The sick, the outcast, the disabled that were rejected, the poor that had no voice. And Jesus said to them that those who have no voice at all are seen and you're heard and you're honored in my family. Psalm 37.11 says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. If you're someone who has been humbled by your circumstances outside of your control. Jesus says, I see you and I welcome you. And in the ways that you might feel discarded or rejected by the world's standards, insignificant, worthless or lowly, unworthy, he welcomes you as you are. And he wants you to know you are so valuable and you are so important. And he will lift you up. He says, blessed are you. Congratulations. What a joy. I delight in your meekness. Because in my kingdom, that means you have a place and you are welcome here. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this time that we've had to, to sit in your word today. We want to, Lord, be people that honor you with our lives. Lord, teach us how we can do that, how we can be meek and humble before you and humble before others looking to their interests over our own. Help us to have eyes to see, God, those who have been humbled among us by circumstances outside of their control. Help us accept them, Lord, like you have accepted us. And Lord, I pray that you would show us how to do that in, in gentleness and kindness with a spirit of love, Father, that they would be drawn to you and into your kingdom, Lord. I pray, God, that we will say yes to you so that your kingdom can be known, so that your glory can be seen and heard on this earth. Lord, I pray we will not be dormant people that hopes that somebody else will go, but, Lord, that we would be used in the, by the potential that you see in us to do the things that you have called us to do, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we will respond to you, Lord, in a way that honors you and brings you glory. In Jesus' name.
If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.